This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, February 17th, 2013. Jesus Approachable. So when I was in my early 20s, um, I had a vision of God being far off and distant. I didn't really feel inside that I could approach God with uh, all the things that were going on in my life. And I just basically came to believe that I had to do it all on my own and I became pretty independent or at least I thought I was independent. Uh, What I learned through years of experiences and making mistakes and trial and error and um, through all my faults is I learned that I was wrong actually about God that God is very approachable. Uh, God is not a far off, distant, or cold God. He loves me just the way I am and accepts me just the way I am. One of my favorite scriptures that reiterates how approachable God really is and how um, my thinking was, was not correct back then is in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, and it says that Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I just love that scripture because everyone includes me. And um, it doesn't matter how much I've done in my life, how many mistakes I've made, um, the sins that I've done. It, It doesn't say that you can only approach God if you haven't sinned. It says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And to me, that is very approachable. That doesn't say at all that God is a cold or distant God. And that Jesus himself is very approachable in the respect that um, all we have to do is call on his name and, and we're saved. I'm Michelle, and I know that Jesus is approachable. Good morning, Connection Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is a place where we seek to connect people with Jesus and the life he offers. That's our mission. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, we thank you for today. Thank you for waking us up, bringing us here. It's no accident. We might think it was circumstance or happenstance, but you know, Lord, it's everything is in your hands. And so we ask that you would help us set aside those things of the day that we have yet to do and really kind of sit at your feet to learn, to experience you. Thank you, Lord. We praise your name, and we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and everybody gathered said, Amen. Amen. So sometimes, when I really think about it, I'm I'm really challenged, and I'm, I'm challenged by trying to understand, trying to kind of wrap my brain around God. It's not that I don't believe in God. I fully believe in God. I just... 
sometimes to try to give you an example of one of the things that's real challenging for me. When I think about how God always has been and always will be, it um, really gets me spinning. I mean, the concept of no beginning, just always having been there, when I really start focusing and concentrating on that, my brain is feeling like it's either going to explode or I'm going to go insane because it just doesn't, it, it, I just can't fathom it. And I guess that's because, you know, as human beings, we have beginnings and we have at least earthly ends. I mean, we are eternal in spirit, but we have earthly ends. We, we are governed by time, or at least we allow time to govern us. And this God that we worship, this God that created us, is outside of time. T- time for God is a construct for our sake. God is outside of beyond time. Uh, time doesn't really exist for God. This always has been, always will be, no beginning, no end. I, I, ha- I just have a challenge trying to just to fathom that whole thing. Well, then consider this. Walk outside on a clear, dark night and look up in the sky and we see millions of stars in the heavens. And God, with a word, just placed every single one of those stars there. And when we look up, we realize that we're only seeing just a very, very tiny, tiny, tiny piece of the universe. You know, just out of, of sheer volume, the distance, the magnitude that we see, how much do we not see? I mean, that is really mind-boggling when we consider the God of the cosmos with a word can place stars in the sky and can form every living, breathing person with a word. Then we go from that system, the solar system, to this system, the, the human body, and kind of look into that and just the complexities, the minutia, and again, it's, it's tough for me to, to fully fathom. I mean, we all began as a single cell. You remember eighth grade biology or whatever grade it was. Single cell that then divides and multiplies until, as an adult, depending on what you read, who you trust for your estimate, you have between 5 and 100 trillion cells in your body. I'm not sure the 5 to the 100 is the important part of that equation. It's the trillion. That's a lot of zeros, isn't it? That's a lot of those little tiny cells. And then let's get a little bit more tiny in each cell. Each cell, you know, you have that little basic blueprint that's particular to you. They call it that DNA. And and from what I read, uh, DNA consists of about 3 billion, that's three with nine zeros after it, bases of information that pair up into those cool little twisty ladder things, you know, that you see. Three billion of those within each of those hundred trillion cells. Are you capturing the magnitude of this and yet the complexity of this and yet the smallness, how all that gets packed? How's that all get packed into that little cell? I, 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 I cannot wrap my brain around it. And so you go from this God who... Uh, who uh, is no beginning, no end, with a word put stars in the sky, who puts uh, billions of this DNA building blocks together, 
And that's the same God who, um, who scooped up dirt and blew breath into it to bring human life into existence. The same God who we read in Genesis walked through the garden, had personal conversation with Adam and Eve. You know, but to be honest, some days, some days, it's not a question of believing at all, but it's a, it's a challenge some days for me to just kind of uh, grasp the, the majesty and magnitude of God, just how awesome God is. Sometimes, with all that in mind, it's a little challenging to approach God in an up-close-and-personal way because, you know, they say God is other. And that's because God is other. It's not a superhuman. God is totally other than we are. And for me, that sometimes becomes a challenge to bridge that gap between my humanness and God's godness, if that makes sense. But God does want a personal relationship, excuse me, with each one of us. God wants to be approached. God wants us to be close to God. And so God had to do something drastic because it seemed that God was so far off and the people were crying out and there was just sin everywhere. So God did something so drastic that he sent his son. He sent Jesus. We refer to Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. Trinity, three in one. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Even though the second person of the person of the Trinity who has existed throughout eternity is God that this this second person of the Trinity at a specific time a specific place in history came into the world looking like you and looking like me God in the flesh born of Mary his name is Jesus baptized by John, fully human, again, even though he is fully divine, fully human means that it makes him approachable to us, that we can go to Christ, that we can lay it all out, no longer this far-off creator of the cosmos, but we have Jesus who walked and talked and ate and did all the kinds of things that human beings do. Mm. Flesh and blood. But, you know, it's, it's more than just flesh and blood that makes Jesus approachable. It, it's what he brought to the table. You know, he, being divine, being God, he has God's unconditional love that he offers to everyone around him, face-to-face, person-to-person. And so as we prepare for Easter during this Lenten season, as we travel with Jesus, as we head to the cross, we realize just how important it is that he is approachable, that we can approach him. And so from now until Easter, we're going to be taking a look at uh, passages in the Bible about Jesus and the impact that Jesus made on others and how others Lives were transformed and changed by Jesus. Our focus is in the book of Luke, and today we're taking a look at Luke chapter 7. Luke is in the second half of the Bible, 
uh, we call it the New Testament. And here we have a story in Luke 7, verses 36 to 50, where Jesus has been invited to the house of a man named Simon. Simon was a religious leader. He was a, a Pharisee. Now, back in that culture, they lived in the uh, Middle East. Guests at the table did not sit, but rather reclined. Not. I don't know how people ate like that, but this is how it would be. They would rest their left elbow and use their right hand to eat, and their feet, you know, in their reclining way would be out behind them. Can you get that picture? I do not have to demonstrate this, do I? No, 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 no. Okay, so the sandals would be off during the meal, and If there was a rabbi or a teacher present at the table, that uh, actually was really a cool thing because people were free to come in and out so that they could learn from the rabbi, so that they could learn from the teacher. So at this particular dinner party, Jesus being there, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher. We have at least uh, uh, one person we see who comes in. Here's what happens. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. As we've studied this scripture and read the commentaries on this particular passage, it's generally agreed upon that this woman led the sinful life, um, as we all lead sinful lives, but she was a prostitute. Now, throughout the gospel stories, Jesus' enemies, those who opposed Jesus, rebuked him consistently for associating with sinners. More specifically, we do hear about Jesus hanging out and being rebuked for hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. A couple weeks ago, we shared about Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, and um, he came to the house of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus' life was changed forever. Mm. And then in this story, we see where Jesus is at the table. And, I mean, he couldn't, uh, it wasn't his doing that she happened to come in, but uh, the fact that she was touching his feet. Now, Simon, the host, uh, he's uh, invited Jesus to dinner. And when he saw this, what she was doing, he, he kind of said to himself, we get this inner dialogue. Well, if Jesus were a prophet, in other words, one who would know what was going on, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. A sinner. The funny thing was, Jesus knew exactly what she was doing, but he also knew exactly what Simon was thinking. And so, rather than addressing what Simon was thinking, he offered him kind of a riddle. He offered him a question, a a powerful question. He said this, he tells a little story and then asks a question. If two men owed money to a certain lender, and he gives us a dollar amount, but one, in effect, owes ten times what the other does... And, and the guy who loans the money forgives both of them of their debt, which of those who had owed money would love him more? Who would have greater love, the guy who owed this much or the guy who owed this much? And, and Simon thought and said, well, I guess the guy who owed the most money would love him more because of the greater, the greater uh, debt, the greater gift, so to speak. And Jesus said, well, yes, you're right. 
And then Jesus turns toward the woman and begins sharing with Simon how much more hospitable she was than he was. He, the host, had been. When we think about hospitality back at that time, um, there were several things that had to be done when a guest entered the home. The first thing that needed to be done was that cool water needed to be poured on the hot, dusty feet of the guest, of whoever entered. Second, the host would place a hand on the guest's shoulder and give a kiss of peace. And then finally, a pinch of sweet-smelling oil or incense would be placed on the guest's head. As Jesus pointed out, the host, Simon, had done none of these things that Mm. were customary. On the other hand, the sinner, in Simon's words, the prostitute, the one who Simon ostracizes, the one who he condemns Jesus for allowing her to, to touch him, she offers Jesus not water for his feet, but her very tears. Rather than wiping them with a towel, she wipes them with her hair. Instead of kissing his head, she kisses his feet. Now, it could be more humble than that. Kisses his feet in order to welcome him instead of a pinch of whatever. She takes her perfume, her personal perfume, and, and, and puts it on his feet. Does all this not only to welcome him, but to just show extravagantly how much she loves him. How ironic that it is she, the, the quote, sinner, the prostitute, the one who is one of those... And not Simon, the religious leader, the Pharisee, and she's also the homeowner, the host, that it's she who extends this extravagant hospitality to Jesus. The alabaster jar of perfume was commonly worn around a woman's neck. It was not unusual for women to wear these things. Um, You know, that's what they did back in the day, to have that perfume aroma with them at all times. It's, it's interesting, this woman, the prostitute, was willing to sacrifice her perfume, her aroma, in order to show Jesus how much she cared about him. Now, perhaps it's symbolic, the perfume, a reminder of who she was, poured out on Jesus, allowing her to start anew, have a new start, a fresh life, a new life in Christ. Mm. Lots been written about that alabaster jar. I, I mean, I think of a jar, I think of a jar, I'm thinking, well, hanging from her neck, because someone said, it's more probably like a vial, you know, a small vial that would, uh, because I'm not sure they bathed every day, it was important to have uh, perfume there, and especially I would guess if you're a prostitute, you know, you would hope to... Uh, because you're going to be up close and personal there. But this this story we find not only in the book of Mark, but we see, find a similar story both in Ma- uh, I mean in Luke. We also find a similar story in Matthew and Mark with some... You can't be sure it's the same incident because there's some changes. There's a Simon in Mark, but it's Simon the leper, not the Pharisee. And in Matthew, there are some minor variations. It might be the same story. with very, It might be different, but the point is... In, the, in one of the stories, I think it's Mark, it talks about this vial and how it's expensive. Uh, I think they call it nard, N-A-R-D, a kind of a resin. And, and um, 
expensive. And, and in that story, she breaks the vial in order to get that perfumed substance out. Now, if that's what happened here and they just didn't say it, those are kind of interesting when you think about it. Because if it's expensive, expensive, that might have been like this woman's savings. It may have been her safety net, so to speak. It may have been her, her bank account, if you will. And so she's taking her her personal earthly safety net and throwing caution to the wind and pouring it on Jesus' feet. She's breaking this vial, which means she's not going to get it back in. She's not using a little bit. She's bre- and using the whole thing. Extravagant. In other words, no turning back. She's not going to get this back. That, in effect, is the end of who she was. If, if as a prostitute, that aroma was important, it's no longer. And now what used to be is not. And she's giving this all up extravagantly to show her love for the one who can bring her into a new life, Jesus the Christ. It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. Anyway, this... um. This sinner, this prostitute, shows Jesus much more hospitality than this host. And, and, and he points this out, Jesus does in Luke 7, 47 through 50. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, who has ever been forgiven little, loves little. He's kind of going back to that story of the, the debt, you know, and the who loves a lot, would a lot, and all that kind of thing. Who has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? I mean, that's what God forgives sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. The problem is, is that Simon the Pharisee, this religious leader, did not consider himself a sinner. He did not consider himself a sinner. And so if he didn't think that he was a sinner, he really had no need for a savior. Wow. He was much better pointing out the sins of everyone else, including this prostitute, rather than recognizing his own shortcomings, his own sin. Now she, on the other hand was conscious of nothing other than her own need, so conscious that, as Alan said, she threw caution to the wind and just laid it all out, and she completely surrendered to Jesus, offering him her tears as she washed his feet, her pride as she kissed his feet, and her very life as she poured out what she had on his feet. She was able to do those things because Jesus was approachable. Jesus was approachable because God the Father knew that we needed an approachable Savior. And so he came in the form of Jesus the Christ, God's one and only Son. Wow, incredible. So that we can meet the Son face to face, so that we can walk shoulder to shoulder 
on this journey that we're all on, this journey that we call life. And so here's a truth that we, um, it's valuable for us never to forget. And that truth is that each and every one of us is a sinner as well. You, me, everyone. You know, if no sinner showed up at church, this place would be empty on Sunday and every day of the week, wouldn't it? We're all there. As, as we read in the book of Romans, chapter 3, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Say that second sentence with me again, will you? For, for all, all have, have sinned, sinned and, and fall short, short of the, the glory, glory of, of God. God. For It could say all y'all <laughs> have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the question is this then. Who are we going to be like? Are we going to be like Simon or the woman from our story? Will we be like Simon, totally oblivious to the fact that we too are sinners? Or like the woman, fully aware that not only are we sinners, but we are totally in need of a Savior? Will we be like Simon and not welcome Jesus? In his case, in his house, in our case, into our lives. Or will we be like the woman who so overwhelmingly was in, had love for Jesus that she extravagantly gave him everything she had? Who are we going to be like? Jesus is approachable. We see this in this story of the woman with the perfume. We read when kids approach Jesus. We read with the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. She was considered unclean. Nobody wanted to be around him. She, around her, she approached Jesus. Jesus is approachable. Many of us have experienced this in the past couple weeks through Unbound where, where we've risked to approach Jesus, who is just waiting for us. And we've experienced a new level of freedom. Jesus is, is so approachable, and he invites us to approach him. Now, Jesus is a gentleman. He's never going to force his way into our lives. We're given free will to make a choice. But we also know that Jesus will never, ever quit pursuing us. Never quit reaching out, wooing each one of us into that intimate relationship with him. He knows that we are sinners saved by grace. That's saved by his love, that sacrificial love on the cross. And he came for you and for me. And so... The question is, will we keep our distance or will we approach? Will we allow the world to kind of take hold of us and cause our heart to just get a little harder and harder? Or we build walls and then we've got these big cinder blocks. Well, let me tell you, Jesus can go right through that. And so... We would encourage each one here today to, to know, to believe in faith that Jesus is approachable and wants all of us. And there's nothing we've done where Jesus is going to say, um, yes, you know you, yes, you know you. 
That's not the way it works. Because he came for every one of us. That's the good news. That's the truth. Let's live it and let's believe it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, it is quite overwhelming to think that you who set the stars in the sky, who can calm the seas, who made everything on the planet, even the rocks cry out and bless your name, that you scooped the dust and blew life into that to form human. And that you came, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, human yet divine, so that we might experience you in a new way. God, help us not continue to be at a distance or or build those walls, but to trust, to surrender, and to approach you. Thank you, God. For your mercy, that unending love, that unconditional love that you have for each one of us. I pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of Connection Church said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers. Thank you.